Turn with me, if you will, to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be reading um, several of the prophecies that are quoted. I'm not going to go through the, the whole scripture with you again today. Um, I remember when my kids were first born, I used to think about what will they be like? You know, what are their personalities going to be like? And what are they going to grow up to do? And, uh, you know, I still have those thoughts from time to time. You know, what, what, uh, what are they going to grow up to do when they uh, become adults? And uh, we all have hopes and dreams for our families, don't we? Uh, hopes and dreams in life. Sometimes our hopes may be, uh, well, it might happen, it might not happen. But that's not the case in the Scripture. Hope in the Scripture is something that is a confident expectation of what God is going to do. Uh, and Jesus gives us that kind of hope. Uh, he is the source of our hope. And we need hope in life, don't we? Uh, you may be going through trouble in your life. You may be going through difficulty. Some of you uh, may have lost a loved one. Uh, and in, Christmas is a struggle for you. Uh, it's good to be reminded about the hope that we have in Jesus. And that hope carries us through those difficult times. Matthew uh, is sharing with us some Old Testament scriptures uh, that prophesied about what Jesus would come to do, what the Messiah would come to do. And in, in sharing these prophecies with us, he wants to bring hope to our lives. Uh, and and I, I believe as we look at these promises, we need to trust that God will do what he said he will do. Some of these promises have been fulfilled. Some of these process, uh, promises are in the process of being fulfilled. They began to be fulfilled when Jesus came, but they are continuing to be fulfilled. And one day when Jesus comes back, they will reach their full fulfillment. Uh, but uh, what an exciting time in the life of Israel and all the hopes and the dreams of the nation of Israel that God had given them promises so that they would expect these things. They're coming to pass in the birth of Jesus Christ. And so the title of my message is The Time for Hope. And uh, I want to look at uh, verse 18. Um, well, I skip on down to verse 23. This is the first prophecy Matthew shares. He says, See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. Then look at chapter 2, verse 4. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then look at um, verse 15. Uh, he stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then look down at verse uh, 18. A voice was heard in Ramah weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children, and she refused to be comforted because they were no more. Uh, look at verse 23. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken to the prophets, that he will be called a Nazarene. Uh, a time for hope. Why is Christmas and the birth of Jesus a time for hope? 
It is a time for hope because of the things that Jesus is doing. First of all, I want you to see Jesus is staying. He is staying. Verse 23 says, See, a virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. Did you know what God says in his word? The promise, I will never leave you or forsake you. Isaiah gave a prophecy in uh, Isaiah chapter 7 and verse 14. He said the virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. Now this prophecy has been questioned by some. They say, well, this is in the, in the context in which it was written. It really wasn't referring to some future individual. Well, I beg to differ. Uh, if you look closely uh, at verses 13 and 14 in the book of Isaiah chapter 7, he says, uh, uh, the house of Israel, God will give you a sign. Now, Ahaz was, was told by God, you need to ask for a sign. And he says, I won't tempt the Lord. I won't, I won't ask for a sign. He responds to Isaiah. And so Isaiah says, uh, uh, is it enough? Uh, house of David, that you've tested the Lord, and, and now you're, you're testing him again. He says, listen, house of David. See, this was not just a prophecy for Ahaz in that immediate context. He says, this is a prophecy, a sign to the house of David, the whole house of David. Uh, a virgin will conceive and bear a son and will call his name Emmanuel. And so then... He gives a, a, a more immediate prophecy. It shifts from the plural, where he's addressing the house of David, uh, it, two verses later, to the, to the singular. And he begins to describe what he later goes on to, to name in chapter 8, uh, Isaiah's son, Meher Shalal Hashbaz. Uh, he is a uh, son of Isaiah. It means quick to the plunder and quick to the spoil. And it was a sign uh, that God was with them, that, that the northern kingdom of Israel, that the kingdom of Aaron were going to be destroyed. They were going to be destroyed by the land of Assyria. But it was also kind of a, a prophecy with a double edge because uh, he said then uh, Assyria will come through the cities of Judah and even up to your neck. Uh, and, and that's exactly what happened in history. Uh, we, we know that the Assyrians came and they attacked Judah and they destroyed all the fortified cities of Judah. And actually, Jerusalem was the lone city that had not been defeated. And God uh, intervened in a miraculous way and killed 185,000 troops in the night through sending his angel and delivered the people of Israel. So that prophecy was fulfilled in history. But if you go on in chapter 8 and it says, But you, Emmanuel, uh, will, will uh, come when... When all of these nations are gathered, all the nations are gathered against Israel. So it wasn't just uh, the situation with these two northern kingdoms. He says all the nations are going to come. It's a prophecy which has never been fulfilled in history, could only be fulfilled in the future. And Jesus will fulfill that prophecy when he comes at his second coming. And so he says God is with us. God will deliver us in this time. And so Isaiah seven fourteen. Let me say one other thing before I, before I leave those arguments. They say that, um, some say, well, Alma is, is not a virgin. Alma is a young woman. Um, did you know Hebrew has no word for virgin? Matter of fact, the, those who criticize this verse say, well, he would have used betula if, if he was talking about a virgin. 
Did you know the word betula in Hebrew is used to describe a married woman? It is, yes. It's not used to, so it could be used uh, for even a married woman. So betula is not a better word. Matter of fact, Alma is, um, has never been used in the Old Testament to describe uh, someone that is clearly not a virgin. Martin Luther said this. He says, I will pay you money if you can show me one verse in all the Bible where Alma refers to somebody who's not a virgin. And nobody took him up on it because they couldn't find it. So, so this is a, a legitimate prophecy of Jesus' birth. Um, by the way, hundreds of years before Jesus was born, the Septuagint translation of the Old Testament, which is a Greek translation, translates it with the word parthenos. It's a, it's a Greek word that means virgin. So before Jesus was ever born, before the prophecy was fulfilled, it was translated virgin. Just so that you know, in case anybody comes to you, this is a legitimate prophecy speaking about Jesus Christ. He says, see, the virgin will come pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel. You say, well, what's the big deal? The big deal is that because Jesus was born of a virgin, he was the son of God. And the Son of Man. And because He's the Son of God, He could bear your sin and bear mine. And because He is the Son of God, then the name actually means something. God with us. You see, something marvelous happened at Christmas 2,000 years ago. God became a man. God was with us as at no other time in history before that time. Before they had 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 a tabernacle, uh, and, and God's presence would come, but only the high priest could go to the most sacred part of the tabernacle. And the rest of Israel did not get to see God up close and personal. But when Jesus was born, God became a man. The Son of God became a man, and he walked and lived among the people. And John says this, We beheld his glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. They saw God in action, in human flesh. What an amazing thing. Jesus said before, um, before his death, resurrection, and ascension, he, he's warning the disciples, I'm going to die, I'm going to go away, but I'm, gonna, I'm not going to leave you alone. I'm going to send the comforter to you, the Holy Spirit. And then one day Jesus is coming back. But did you know that Jesus has never left his people? He says, well, I am with you always even to the end of the age. He is with us. Now, he's in heaven at the right hand of the Father, right? But he's also, as the Son of God, he is omnipresent, and he lives within our hearts when we come to faith in Jesus. So, so Jesus is staying. And one thing that will bring you hope in this Christmas season is Jesus is always a constant. You can always count on him. He'll always be with you in the trials and the seasons of your life. Uh, he will hold you. He's the husband of the widow. He's the father of the fatherless. He stays with you. And when all else, David said, if my father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me up. He is faithful to be with his people. If you're a child of God, thank him and praise him for that wonderful truth. Trust in the fact that Jesus is God with us, but that he's also going to come back one day and he'll be God with us again here upon this earth. Uh, trust in the promise. Now, if you're here and you don't know Jesus, know this. 
Jesus came to this earth. Jesus became God with us so that he could live a perfect life as your substitute, die on the cross to pay for your sin as your substitute so that you could be forgiven and have a relationship with God and walk with God in fellowship so that God could be your friend and live within your heart and be with you at all times. This is what this scripture is all about. If you don't know Jesus, you need to make a decision today to turn from your sin and put your trust in Jesus Christ and receive that free gift of forgiveness that he bought and paid for for you at Calvary. That would be the greatest Christmas present you could receive. So, uh, Christmas is a time of hope because Jesus is staying. Secondly, Jesus is caring. Jesus is caring. Look at verse 6. By the way, this is a direct prophecy from the book of Micah, chapter 5 and verse 2. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the leaders of Judah, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. Who will shepherd my people, Israel. Now, here in a moment, we're going to read a quote from uh, Jeremiah 31. Did you know in Jeremiah 31, the Bible speaks of the Messiah as a shepherd? Did you know that in uh, the, the prophecies of Isaiah, the Messiah is spoken of as a shepherd? Jesus is caring. You know what he said in John 10? He said, I am the good shepherd. What was a shepherd? What was his function? Well, the shepherd would care for his sheep. He would meet their needs. I love that psalm, Psalm 23. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. Yea, though I walk to the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The shepherd cares for his sheep. The sheep gets injured. What does the shepherd do? He puts a bandage on the wound of the sheep. Some of you may be wounded today. You may be wounded emotionally. Uh, maybe you're wounded through a loss in your life. Can I tell you, the good shepherd will put salve on your heart. He is faithful to care for his own. He'll supply the food that you need. One scripture says, I've never seen the righteous forsaken or their seed begging for bread. He'll supply what you need. He cares for you. He is caring. He cares about the details of your life. Uh, you can pray about the small stuff. Did you know that God cares about the small stuff? You know how I know that? He has every one of your hairs numbered. If he cares about the hair, you know, I can't keep track. I've got them falling out and turning gray and all these different things. I don't, but um, he knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head at any moment in time. That tells me God cares about the details of your life. He says, he knows every word on our tongue before we speak it. God cares for you. Um, the Bible says um, that uh, God so loved the world that he gave his only son. You see, Christmas is about God showing in a visible way that he cares for you. Cares about your struggles. Some of you may be struggling with a sin. He cares about you. He he, he seeks to come alongside you and help you work through that in your life 
so that you can have victory. He gives you his Holy Spirit to come and live through you. Uh, so God cares about your life. So what, do you, what should you do with that? Well, t- take your needs to him in prayer. He cares for you. Cast all your cares on him for he cares for you. Uh, trust him in the difficult times of our lives. You know what the Bible says? God only allows difficulty in our lives if it's necessary. We may not know till heaven why it's necessary in our life, but God only allows difficulty if it's necessary. And so trust him in the difficult times of life and know that he cares for you. And look at the cross if you're doubting. Sometimes in my life I've gone through, through seasons of trouble and I've doubted God's goodness. Um, remember the cross. The cross says with three spikes and a crown of thorns and a spear on the side, the, crown, the cross says, I love you. Remember that Jesus is caring for you. That's why Christmas is a time of hope. Jesus is staying. Jesus is caring. And thirdly, Jesus is delivering. Jesus is delivering. Look at verse 15. He stayed there until Herod's death so that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled. Out of Egypt I've called my son. Now the angel tells Joseph, take Jesus to Egypt because Herod's trying to kill him. And then later on he says, Joseph, uh, bring him back to Israel. The people who were seeking his life have died and then eventually go to Nazareth. And he goes to Nazareth. So he's giving him this guidance. But uh, as Matthew looks back, he sees that Jesus is repeating the history of Israel. Now, some prophets were direct. He'll be born in Bethlehem, like we just read. It's direct. Uh, A virgin will conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. That's a direct prophecy. Uh, Some prophecies are more uh, pictures or patterns that Jesus fulfills. You see, uh, Israel failed to fulfill their covenant with God. So there was going to come this Messiah who would fulfill what Israel failed to fulfill. And he would be, if you want to say, the new Israel. He would be the one who fulfilled what Israel was meant to be. Uh, Israel in Isaiah, in, certain, in the first chapters, are call, is called the servant. Later on in chapter 53 and several surrounding chapters, um, the servant is Jesus Christ. You see, he's the one who replaces Israel. He is the one who uh, fulfills what Israel uh, was meant to fulfill. Now, that doesn't mean God's done with Israel. God still is, is keeping his promises to Israel and so forth. But Jesus was the one in whom all their hope was to be. So when, when he looks at this verse out of Hosea 11.1, 1, and actually in the context of the original uh, scripture, he's saying, look, out of Egypt I've called my son. He's talking about Israel. He says, and Israel was not, I've, I've tried to care for him. I've tried to, to work with them. And they have rebelled against me. And so uh, the, the original context is God saying, look, remember what I did for you. I brought you out of Egypt. I delivered you. I brought a great salvation to you. But you've turned away from me. And God's calling them back and if you read the book of Hosea, it's, the question keeps coming. God says, okay, judgment's coming because of your sin, but I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore you. How's that restoration going to happen? It's going to happen through the Messiah. The Messiah who would come and fulfill what Israel could not fulfill. 
And through his coming, he would bring about a great deliverance, spiritually first, and then nationally for Israel later. If you read Isaiah chapter 11, which we have a quote from that, but we're not to that yet, but it also talks about the shepherd who will gather Israel from the four corners of the earth. There's going to be a new exodus for Israel. Jesus is going to bring it about. So Jesus fulfilled in his life. As a matter of fact, he took the same route. He, he went down from uh, Israel to Egypt just like Jacob did years ago with his family. And his, his father was named Joseph. Isn't that ironic? Joseph uh, saves Israel in the book of Genesis. Remember that? Now a second Joseph is taking Jesus uh, down to Egypt to bring about a deliverance for the people of Israel. Uh, so um, you, you see this pattern. And so Matthew's saying, look, Jesus fulfills these patterns of the Old Testament. Sometimes you, you need to take a, a, a season of time in your life and study the, the types of, of Jesus in the Old Testament. It's a great study. How Jesus fulfills and these pictures and all. The sacrifices were a picture of Jesus. The Exodus was a picture of Jesus. Uh, Joshua was a picture of Jesus. Moses was a picture of Jesus. David was a picture of Jesus. And you go all throughout the Bible. And so what, what uh, Matthew is saying is here, even in the historical events of Israel's life as a nation, you see the shadow of Jesus yet to come. It's pointing forward to Jesus. It's fulfilled in him. So, um, uh, Jesus is delivering. So, uh, this, this uh, reminds us of the fact that there will be a future deliverance for Israel. But Jesus came to save sinners, didn't he? Jesus came to bring about a deliverance, a salvation. Did you know in the Old Testament, over and over again, the Exodus is spoken of as bringing a great salvation? That's what Jesus came to do. He came to bring a great spiritual salvation. Not just for Israel, but for all the peoples of the world. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Jesus came to bring a deliverance, to a salvation to you. Now, what does that mean? If you don't know Jesus, Jesus lived the perfect life. You couldn't live on your own so that you could be accepted before God. Jesus died a death as a perfect substitute for you to take the punishment for your sin, to bring you salvation. Uh, Jesus arose from the dead uh, to show that he could have the power to save you as he promised to do. And so Jesus came to save sinners. So if, you're, if you don't know Christ, you need to make a decision today to turn from your sin, put your trust in Christ, and receive that gift of salvation. Jesus came to deliver you. Yes, what Jesus did 2,000 years ago is still powerfully delivering people today. But he's not only bringing deliverance from, from sin, deliverance from hell. He's bringing deliverance in your and my daily life. I remember one time when I was in high school, I was having a test, right? Y'all ever had that happen? And, and I had just, I hadn't got enough study time in. You know, I had church the night before. I thought, I'm going to church. I'm going to, you know, we'll, we'll deal with the studying. But I'm going to church. And so, uh, I, there, the next day, the test was going to be given. And 
said, Lord, I went to church to honor you last night. <laughs> I've studied, but I don't feel like I'm ready. Would you help, for some reason, help the test to be put off? And my teacher came in and she said, the copier is broken, so I could not give you your test today. I said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> God delivered me. Can I tell you something? God is, he answers prayer. And he's in the delivering business. So remember this. Have some hope in this Christmas time. Remember that God, uh, Jesus, is in the business of delivering people. So Christmas is a time of hope because Jesus is staying. He's caring. He's delivering. Fourthly, he's changing. He's changing. Look at verse 18. This is a quote out of the middle of Jeremiah 31 that refers originally to the captives going uh, into captivity. God had prophesied that they'd be taken into exile, and uh, Jeremiah is prophesying, saying, look, uh, uh, Rachel is mourning. It's kind of a poetic way of saying the heart of uh, the descendants of, of Rachel are grieved because of the great pain they're experiencing. They're seeing their children going into captivity. They're seeing their children killed on the battlefield. And so uh, Jeremiah, again, Matthew is seeing this pattern. Okay, what came? First, the, the weeping and the mourning and the, all of these things. Uh, they're going into captivity. Then came the deliverance and restoration from captivity. But if you look in Jeremiah, Jeremiah looks past that. He looks forward to a time of hope. And he says, listen, quit weeping. These verses, right after these verses that are quoted, say, quit weeping. Stop your weeping. Why? Because I have a plan the firm God that he has shared. You're going to be delivered. There's a Messiah coming. And there's a new covenant that he's going to bring uh, that will, instead of having just an outward law, God will write his very law upon your heart. He'll change you from the inside out. And so Matthew looks at this time of mourning. Herod had commanded that all the children two years old and under be killed uh, uh, trying to kill Jesus, but Jesus had, of course, fled to Egypt. Uh, and so um, they're mourning and they're weeping, but Jeremiah, Jeremiah uh, as well as Matthew, say, hey, look, this is a time of weeping, but there's a time of joy because God's plan has come. God's Messiah has come. That's what Matthew's saying. He's saying, yes, there's a time of weeping, but it's, it's a picture of the time of joy yet to come. Again, another pattern you see in the Old Testament that looks forward to the life of Christ. So Jesus came to change things. Some of you may be going through mourning or grief or heartache in your life. Can I tell you something? Because we serve a, a God who has conquered the grave, there is hope no matter what the circumstance. Paul said these light and momentary sufferings are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed into it in us. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Anything you're experiencing compared to the glory, if you're a child of God, compared to the glory that you'll experience one day in heaven, can't even be compared. You can have hope in the midst of your difficult, hard circumstance because Jesus has come to change things. And he's come to change people. You're bound in sin. If, if, you, if, you've, if you've committed these things in the, your past, if you feel like you, there's no way I can break free from this sin, can I tell you, Jesus is in the changing business. 
He takes people who are broken, who can't save themselves. That's, that's what Israel was going through. They had failed and failed and failed and failed and failed, and now they were going into captivity because God told them, if you don't keep my covenant, I'm going to send you to captivity. And they're at the place of greatest failure, and finally they're experiencing the consequence of their sin. And God says, but listen, I haven't spoken the last word. I have a plan to restore you. If, you, if you're in that situation today, and you're bound in your sin, can I tell you, Jesus can set you free. He can change you from the inside out. He can write God's law upon your heart so that you have a desire to do the things of God. He'll send the Holy Spirit to live through you, to live in victory. So uh, put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ today. Let him come into your life and change your heart and begin to show you how to live and walk in the Spirit, how to have victory in your life. He'll set you free. He is changing things. Jesus Christmas is a time of hope because Jesus came to change things. Uh, put your trust in him to change you. Christian, if you're struggling with a sin, trust in Jesus to change you. And then take steps in your life to, to find out what God's word says. To learn how to walk in the spirit. If any of you need to learn that, um, I've got a little brochure that teaches you how. And I, I've got some suggestions too that I could help you with. But, but uh, don't continue to walk in a negative pattern of failure in your life. God has called you to victory, uh, and he will change you as you walk with him and let him do that. So uh, Jesus uh, is staying, he's caring, he's delivering, he's changing, and finally he's ruling. He's ruling. Look at verse 23. Then he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken through the prophets. Notice there's an S on the, on the end of that word. This is the only place in the book of Matthew where, where Matthew quotes something and puts the word prophet as a plural. That's because this is not found in one single verse. It's found in several different references across the Old Testament. He's summing up what the Old Testament has to say. Uh, he says, this is, he's called, an, uh, a t- he went and settled in a town called Nazareth to fulfill what was spoken to the prophets, that he will be called a Nazarene. Now, there's no Old Testament scripture that specifically says he will be called a Nazarene. So what's he talking about? Well, if you look in Isaiah chapter 11, in verse 1, the Bible says that there will come a branch from the, from the house of David. Uh, there's this thing going through Isaiah uh, that uh, the, the tree that, that is Israel and David's house will be cut off. And that happened when they went into captivity. Uh, but that there would be a, a branch, a sprout that would come from that stump. That, in other words, when David's house was cut off, it wouldn't be the end. A, a descendant of David down the road would come and he would be the sprout. He would be the branch that would come and would restore the house of David. The word for branch in the Hebrew is natzer. And it's the same words, if you look in Aramaic, which would be the language they spoke in this time, it would be the same words as the words for Nazarene, natzer. Um, What does this mean? It means that Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy of ruling. I talked to you about Isaiah 7.14 a minute ago, that he would be called God with us. If you look in Isaiah 9, 
uh, it says, For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And then you look in Isaiah chapter 11, you say, The branch is coming, the, the, the sp- uh, sprout from the root of Jesse. Uh, He is coming, and the Spirit of God will be upon him, a spirit of counsel and wisdom and might and all of these things. Well, you you look over in Matthew chapter 3, and what do you see? The baptism of Jesus by John. What's happening? The Spirit's descending as a dove. See, what's he saying? He's saying Jesus is the branch. He is fulfilling the prophecy and by the way, the branch is spoken of in Isaiah, it's spoken of in Zechariah, uh, several places throughout the, the Old Testament. So God is saying he's fulfilling that prophecy. But he's also fulfilling the prophecy in Isaiah chapter 9. Because in Isaiah chapter 9, the Bible says, You land of Zebulun and Naphtali, uh, the people of Galilee of the Gentiles, a people who sat in darkness, have seen a great And then he goes on to say, he's the child. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, so forth. What's he talking about? You know where Nazareth is? It's right on the border of Zebulun and Naphtali. Smack dab in the middle of Galilee. His geographical location fulfilled prophecy. Not just the geographical location of his birth. The geographical location of where he grew up as a boy fulfilled that prophecy. Later on, one of his main areas of ministry was Galilee of the Gentiles. So you say, well, why does all that matter? Because Jesus has come to rule. Do you ever get disillusioned with leadership? Do you ever ever get discouraged when you see what's happening in our country, in other countries? Um, Some places in the world you have wicked uh, dictators who kill hundreds uh, of their own people. There's a heart cry. Where can we find a righteous ruler to bring peace on earth? Well, Isaiah tells us the Messiah. He's coming. He's going to rule over the world. He's going to bring peace on earth. Matter of fact, such great peace is he going to bring that during the millennial kingdom, after Jesus' second coming, when he comes back, the lion will lay down with the lamb. The bear and the cow will feed together. Not on each other, but on the grass. Okay? What's, how could something like that happen? The fundamental change. See, in in the garden, the curse of God came upon the ground, the land, the the earth. When Jesus comes back, the curse will be removed. And there will be true peace on earth. That's what Jesus will do when he rules physically as a king. But did you know Jesus is ruling now? The Bible says that he has been exalted to the right hand of the Father. And he is ruling from heaven. Now, he's going to come down and make it official someday. But he is ruling now in the hearts and minds of people who have surrendered their hearts to Christ, put their trust in him. And I'm going to tell you, you can have no greater ruler than Jesus Christ. 
I remember I used to think uh, I, I was struggling with, with surrendering my heart to Christ. And, I, you know, well, Lord, if I, if I come to you, I'm going to have to give up this. I'm going to have to give up that. And I, I just really don't want to surrender that. And, you know, I, you know, and so I struggled. But you know what happened? When I finally surrendered my heart to Christ, you know what I found? I found that Jesus gave so much more than he took. He brought life. I, I began to live life the way it was meant to be lived for the first time. I had joy and peace in my heart. The guilt that had burdened my life was taken away. Why? Jesus had come to rule in my heart. And when he came to rule, he brought peace with him. Jesus came to rule. Christmas is a time of hope because Jesus has come to rule. Christian, are you walking in surrender to him and trusting him? If not, can I encourage you to uh, confess whatever sin you've got in your life and ask the Spirit of God to fill you and live through you and, and follow him. This is what Jesus said. He said, I've come that they might have life and they, they might have it abundantly. When we keep God at an arm's length in our Christian walk, we rob ourselves of his joy. If you're here today and, and you are an unbeliever, can I tell you, there is a barrier between you and God. And that barrier is called sin. This bookmark here would not be big enough to hold all my sins. Matter of fact, it would probably take multiple volumes. Okay? Every time I ever spoke something that was unkind, every time I ever thought an impure thought, every time I ever did something that was wrong, every time I ever failed to do something that God wanted me to do that was right, uh, would be recorded on this bookmark. And imagine that that stands, and here I am, and here God is, and that bookmark is a barrier between me and God. Every sin I've ever committed. You know what Jesus did? Jesus took that barrier off of me and placed it on himself at the cross so that I could have fellowship with God. That's what Jesus did for you. If you don't know Jesus, Jesus has, has died and has raised from the dead so that you could receive the gift of salvation, the gift of forgiveness. He took your sin upon himself so that your barrier between you and God could be removed, so that you could have God himself live on the inside in your heart and be the ruler of your life so that he could bring peace to your soul. That's what Jesus came to do. So if you don't know him, I'm going to encourage you to surrender your heart to him, to turn from your sin, put your trust in Jesus Christ and, and uh, receive that gift. Uh, if you'd like to do that this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that in just a moment. Uh, I'll be standing here at the front, and I'm going to just invite you. Uh, in a moment, we'll begin to sing. Uh, you just step out of your seat, and you come down here to the front, and, and I'll lead you in a prayer. I'll pray a phrase, let you re repeat after me if you'd like, uh, um, and uh, you can express your heart's desire to have Jesus come and rule within. As you do, Jesus will, uh, will be, he'll stay. <laughs> he won't leave. He'll shepherd you. He'll be your good shepherd. Uh, he'll care for you. He'll, he'll meet the needs of your life, and, and he'll be faithful to you, and you'll never regret it. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much.
for your word. And thank you for the fulfilled prophecies in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the hope that we have uh, at Christmas time because of Jesus. And Lord, I pray that if there's any among your people here this morning who aren't walking with you in in that fullness of joy, I pray they'd confess that sin. and, uh, and, And Lord, even come to this altar and tell you how.